Welcome to Spirit Pig. This is the show that explores how to live a fulfilled life. I'm Duncan CJ and in this episode I talk to Duncan Goose about putting everything on the line for what you believe in, breaking down overwhelming and large tasks into little steps, what Duncan's two-year trip around the world taught him about humanity and the kindness of strangers, plus the power of hard work, passion and belief. Coming up right now in Spirit Pig. Enjoy. Today I'm talking to Duncan Goose, and uh, now Duncan spent two years motorbiking around the world, surviving earthquakes, hurricanes, shootings, and I think even an attempted kidnapping. I read, uh, and he's since gone on to found Global Ethics Limited, uh, which and is the main man behind the One Difference brand, which has raised over ten million pounds for humanitarian projects and has changed uh, two point six million lives worldwide. Duncan, thank you so, so much for uh, giving up your afternoon and talking to me today. No, it's my pleasure. Um, now, I saw you speak at a TED Talk and um, your story, just it, it definitely, like, and the journey, it really, really caught my interest. And it was, it was absolutely incredible, like the whole wh- where it's come from. And can I maybe just ask, uh, December the 15th, 2003 was a key day in your life. That was a big turning point. Could you maybe just... Um, Describe why exactly and why that day was uh, was so such a big day for you. Uh, well, actually, it was a big day for the world, strangely enough, because it was the day that uh, Saddam Hussein had been captured, and uh, or I think it was captured maybe the day before, but it was the day it was in all the news mm. and in all print media. So, like every newspaper you picked up, there was just page after page after page of uh, of coverage about him being taken out of this uh, this underground cavern that he'd been hiding in sort of very disheveled um but i bought a newspaper um that day and i was like everybody else reading through it but then towards the back of it there was just this photograph of um of a young girl uh, sat in fairly squalid muddy conditions um, by a sort of very rusting uh tap which had a padlock on it and um and the sort of byline on the photograph was just waiting for water in kabira um, and that really kind of like got my attention, you know, much more so than, um, than the Saddam Hussein story. Um, partly because of some stuff that happened when I was out motorbiking around the world. Um, but also because of something else that I'd kind of heard about in terms of the global water issue. So yeah, that was the, that was a pretty poignant day for me. And did that, because there, there was that, and there was also a story when, uh, you were sitting in a pub with um, other like marketing people, and then this idea of you know the issue with like the lack of water around the world. Like, what 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 happened? So you you, you saw that story, and what, so what came first out of those two things? Um, do you know, I can't actually remember which way around it happened. Strangely enough, it was so long ago. Um, but the the pub conversation was uh, we were in um, a bunch of us were in Soho in London. Uh, watching the Grand National that day, and uh, one of my uh, friends, a guy called Simon Devonshire, uh, said, did I know that there was a billion people in the world that didn't have access to clean water? And I was just like, no, I didn't. Um, but I've seen that, you know, when I was out uh, out of my motorbike travels, I kind of had a few experiences that made me understand um, the value of water and the impact lack of clean water has on people. Um, and as a bunch of, as you say, sort of slightly boozed up marketeers, um, he said, well, why don't we create this water brand and give all the profits away? And, uh, and that was really the, the sort of how it started, I suppose. 
Um, and then the following day, everybody went back to work as normal and with hangovers and nobody did anything. But I think for me, it was that trigger point. You know, it was the thing that resonated more perhaps with me because I'd had firsthand experience of that. So, yeah. And this is it's unbelievable because rather than just, like you said, just talking about it and going back to your, your, your normal life, I mean, you, you put everything on the line as in, I think, I think you remortgaged your house. This, yeah. you, this was, this was the beginning of this huge, crazy journey. I mean, and I think even at one stage, your, your parents were sending you food packages because you, you went from this, obviously a good, well-paid job mm. to back to real basics and just putting everything yeah. on the line. That must've been a pretty, a pretty scary, but maybe exciting time. Um, it, it's crazy it's difficult to explain when uh when you feel so compelled to do something mm. so driven to do something um you become quite blinkered i suppose in trying to achieve whatever that is and uh you, you just keep going and going and going um to get where you need to go and i think for me partly the motorbiking around the world thing um you know i understood you know, you have to go through the hard bits as well as the the, the, the good bits. Um, but it's always about just keep plodding on, keep plodding on, and just get over every single obstacle that that, that gets in your way. And um, and you're right, and I did, and I, you know, I used up all the savings that I had to start this crazy bottled water company that would give all its profits away. Um, and then when I'd gone through all of those, I remortgaged my house. And then when I used up that money, I had sort of friends and family helping me out and. Getting food parcels when you're in your thirties is quite, <laughs> it's quite a, a tough thing to adjust to, but uh, but it, but it was it was an obsession, and I think the biggest part of it for me was that I was there in this knowledge that there were a billion people in the world that didn't have access to clean water, that two million people were dying every single year from uh, contaminated water, and people spent an average of four or five hours a day walking to collect water, so kind of you know how dare I complain. Um, about the quality of life that I had, you know, I had clothes and I had a, a small flat in London. It's like my life really wasn't that bad. So, um, yeah, just keep pushing and pushing is the, the thing you have to do, and um, you know, it's do you, just the way it goes. Because because you had, you know, you said a billion people without clean water. Because did you find that having a reason or a why that was so much bigger than you and yourself was that a massive? Did that help? You know a massive driving force in terms of the motivation that it wasn't something, you know, which was selfish. It was something which was this huge, crazy task, but cause it was so much bigger than you Did that help in the tough times quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Always. And it's the, the, the thing that, that gets you out of bed in the morning is that, you know, it's like if I can, if I can do something good today, uh, if I can stop one child from dying from contaminated water or get one child to go to school rather than walking four or five hours, to get water, then that that's a fantastic success, and that that was really why the brand um, that we we produced was called One. It was about changing lives one person one day at a time. So for me, you know, we count success down to lives changed. You know, how many lives changed? As you said, we've we've changed over two point six million. I think it's a bit more than that now, but um, but yeah, certainly in the millions. And and that was because you know I was just obsessive about trying to do something that would affect people. And I love that idea of that just one, because when you have those figures like like a billion people or two million people dying every year because of, you know, because of water, um, you know, issues, 
because those numbers are so so huge then it's almost like it's so big then it's what what can i do but by bringing it back just to one person if you can just focus on just one person today or one that's your goal then you know job done i like that because it almost removes that huge barrier of entry where you know looking around we can all make a difference rather than just thinking 800 million i mean i i can't do anything about that so you almost don't even start yeah I, and i think i i learned that really from uh when i motorbiked around the world you know when i started off I said to people, sort of half jokingly, oh, I was going to ride around. And this is way before you and McGregor did it. <laughs> and certainly without their kind of funding and support. Um, but, but I said that to people and, and some people were like, oh, great, you know, go and do that. And other people were, were quite skeptical about it and said, well, you'll never achieve it. And I think for me, I started with the, the big vision, which was to ride a motorbike around the world. But then it was about getting up every single day and riding a bit further. And uh, and I loved that. That was that was part of the the process. Um, and I think the same thing about the bottled water company was, as you said, there's a billion people out there. I can't change that. You know, there's nothing I can do to to change that. But I can change one person's life. And if I can change one, I can change two. And if I can change two, I can change a family. And if I can change a family, I can change a community. So all these little incremental steps are the things that get you all the way around the world, or you know, closer to a billion people having access to water. That's amazing. And that, that, that's what you just said there, uh, really closely parallels. I was talking last week to, um, have you come across Alistair Humphreys before? No. Um, he's, um, he's an adventurer. He was like National Geographic, like Explorer of the Year. Okay. And he did a, a similar sort of thing when he was saying so many people, he, he um, cycled around the world and so many people said, oh, you can't do it, you can't do it. But he, <laughs> his, his thinking was, if I can just, if I can cycle to the local village, okay, then if I can cycle to the next town, okay, if I can cycle to the end of England, and it's just what a crazy huge adventure like that seems uns- insurmountable, but it's actually just hundreds of little adventures put together where it's just like yeah. just each step. And so by, I guess it's the whole like look after the pennies and the pounds look after themselves. Like, you know, just taking it one step at a time. Um, and like that, a lot of people were saying you can't do it, you can't do it. But just taking those baby steps and before you realize it, you've actually made a huge difference in whatever, in, in an adventurer or, you know, in helping people. And I think that's that's really, really interesting to hear it again because... You know, you, these are two people who, yourself and Alistair, who have both achieved these crazy things, and you've both reiterated it, that it's just baby steps, one step at a time. Yeah, I think that's like life. You can't live life in one day. <laughs> you know, you've got, to, you've got to be here for, you know, hopefully 70, 80 years or something. So, um, but yeah, it's just, it's just every day is different. But it's, it's always working towards the same, the same goal. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a thing about you can't, how do you eat an elephant? And it's like one bite at a time or something like that. You know, it's those kind of sentiments. So, yeah. I love that. And um, that's awesome. And you mentioned a couple of times about about this um, trip um, around the world. And uh, sorry, I'm going to quote you, but it's a quote which I read and actually I, I, I loved. You, you said, um, I was fortunate to have people all around the world take me under their wing when things went wrong, as they sometimes did. And I le- learned a lot about humanity and about the kindness of strangers. Did, did, can you maybe just elaborate on that? Did you find you know, that people and world car- like, are generally like helpful and kind and generous? Like, or what, what was your experiences of just coming across these people who, you know, they've got no reason to you know, help you. They're, they're not friends, they're not family. But did you find if they kind and helpful i don't know 
Yeah, I I think this was. I've actually just got chills while you said that. Um, I, I think it was possibly the greatest revelation for me. Um, so up until that point, I'd, I'd been living in London, and you know I lived in a, a street of terraced houses, and I didn't really know, you know, more than like one neighbour each side of a house of a street that was probably a like hundred houses or something like that, and um, and yet when you step outside this world and or well, not this world, this this country, um, suddenly the 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 level of interest that people have in you and wanting to help you is just, it's mind-blowing. Um, so I, I'll give you a couple of examples of that, if, if I may. Yeah, the cool. first one was that um, uh, I started in the east coast of Canada, in Nova Scotia, and um, originally a plant just arrived from Nova Scotia down to America, and, and I didn't because I met some, some guy in a bar one night, and he said, oh, you should go to Banff and Jasper, um, which is on the west coast of or towards the, the west coast of Canada. So I ended up riding across Canada to start with. Um, but a couple of weeks into that trip, I hit a deer uh, early in the morning, about 60, 50, 60 miles an hour, and ended up, I ended up down the ditch, and the deer was dead, and the bike was a complete mess. And um, it was just, it was not a great start to uh, what was going to be a rather well trip. But, um, but but the the ambulance crew that picked me up and the police were phenomenal. You know, they they the nearest hospital was an hour's drive away, so it was it was quite remote where I was. Um, but this community just came round me. You know, when they found out he was this like foreign guy who'd hit a deer and you know come off his bike and it was a mess, and they patched my motorbike up with skidoo parts because there was no there was no motorbike shop where I was, but there were skidoos, <laughs> um, and they sort of stitched all my clothing back together and they offered me a cottage to stay and they you know people took me out to ice hockey games when I was recuperating and um, and it was it was just the most it was like having this family around you that you just they were just there and uh, it was an amazing and very humbling experience and then the other one was that I was motorbiking through Pakistan from um, Amritsar on the Indian border right up in the north down to Iran and all of the way through Pakistan nobody would let me pay for food it was just amazing and uh and i just don't know where that kind of level of hospitality comes from and uh and there was a guy there that fixed my motorbike for me because i'd had some problems with it and it was it was just uh, you know if, if anybody listening to this picks out anything from anything that we talk about it would be just go out into the world and just meet people because it's a phenomenal place and it's it's just full of some incredible incredibly generous people that's amazing thank you i love that it's as in, yeah, as in, I've done a, a little bit of traveling and it's, I can, I can, yeah, just back up what you're saying. It's the, the people and the experiences that you, you, you and, and the things you learn, I, I think, through traveling is I learned more in through traveling than I did probably all of my schooling, university <laughs> put together as in more about yourself, more about the world, more about people. Just, um, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. As in, those were awesome stories. Thank you. <laughs> Um, and I heard a quote yesterday from Tony Robbins. It was on Twitter, and it, it said, "What uh, will make you fulfilled is to grow and to give." And do you feel, obviously, you've devoted so much of your life to giving? Do you feel that giving is really closely linked with your personal, like, happiness, human happiness, fulfillment? 
um, this idea of doing st- something for something else. I mean, you just mentioned about the stories of other people helping you, but you helping other people. Have you, have you, how, what's, how's that kind of made you feel? Uh, that's a really, that's a really interesting question. Um, I think, I think part of it is that we all, you know, we all have this obligation to help other people, whether that's your next door neighbor, Jim, who lives next door to me, who's 85 and a widower, um, who we sort of adopted and my kids have adopted him as a grandparent, um, you know, we kind of keep an eye on him. So, you know, out to the wider world about, um, I was taking my kids to school this morning and we sort of ran into this lady who was having some problems with her children. And we bundled all them into the car and we took them home. And, and I think you just, you just have this innate thing about helping people. You know, it's about what humanity is about and all this, you know, crap that's going on with ISIS and everything else is the complete antithesis of, of that. But, um, but I think generally people in the world are, here to support other people it's not all about you know getting your agenda across or you know making as much money as you possibly can it's just about making the world a slightly better place and I think I'm very privileged to have fallen into this sort of journey that that um uh, you know has, has happened with a motorbike trip that opened my eyes in one sense to having a background in marketing to you know having this pub conversation to you know whether you call this synchronicity or, or what I, I don't know but it's but I think that's the big thing for me is, is that we all have a duty of care to the world and, and to people. And I'm just really privileged to, to have a really unique way of being involved in that, I suppose. And, and I feel very fulfilled, blessed, whatever you want to call it, uh, to be able to do that. So, yes, I have an incredibly amazing life from that perspective. Incredible. And would you say that, um, because now, like, raising 10 million, I mean, what 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 really excites me is um the idea of an idea and it's just it, yeah it's just an idea but then that idea taking form and then manifesting and actually creating change because what, what does it feel like to have just an idea which you came up with to then 10 million pounds later ch- changing 2.5 million like lives like what 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 does that what does that feel like as in can you um, what kind of feeling does that get, like, or is you, it? Are you thinking we're not even close to job done? It's just we're not even. Yeah. You know, we got a long way to go. Or... Yeah, I think um, I, I think what we've done is amazing, and I think that we've done it in some challenging circumstances, not least because of the sort of years of the recession, which we, you know, like everybody took an absolute pounding. Um, but we're always looking forward. You know, I. I sort of used to say that that one was really a legacy project you know it would never be achieved in my lifetime you know we would never get to this point of eradicating global water scarcity but i've changed my view on that and i think we can do it and i think you can do it collaboratively and um and that's the project that we're sort of working on now is about how do you bring people together you know how do you bring organizations together how do you bring governments together how do you bring uh civil society together how do you bring communities together and and say look this is we know we can we can change this we've just got to get everybody on the same agenda and i think for me it's like the the 10 million and the you know a couple of million lives that we've changed are are incredibly you know amazing things to have done but i want to get to the end i want to be a really old man and say to my kids look we nailed that you know we we eradicated water scarcity not me by myself yeah. but me and 
collaboration with uh, you know millions of other people who just said this is wrong. We should just we should sort this out and we can do it and let's get on and sort it. That's awesome. Can you just? Um, I think the microphone is just rubbing against your jumper. Sorry. So if you just if you just take those headphones out, we'll we'll do it without them. I think. Okay. Uh, that's awesome. And would you would you say that? Um, oh, I just put my mic mic, mic down. Um, would you say that? On a personal level, what have been sort of um, some of the uh, some of the biggest learnings w- w- which you've got out of this whole experience? Have you have you have, have there any standout? You mentioned obviously that the world is generally like a good place and kind, but have you on a personal level learned like a lot about yourself or? Yeah, um, there are so many lessons that you could take out of, of a journey like creating a, a water brand and then giving the profits away. Um, you know, the starting point is people said it was impossible to do it. Um, and it is really freaking difficult. <laughs> trying, to, trying to run a business that gives money away is, is not easy. Um, but I, I think there is, there will, there will always be obstacles. Um, the game will always change. It will be different year after year after year. And it's about being accepting of that and, uh, not taking it as a kind of personal, you know, the world doesn't play today the way it played yesterday kind of thing. It just changes. And sometimes we move the goalposts and sometimes somebody else does. Yeah. Um, and and that's that can be really hard to take sometimes. Um, but you've always got to go forward. You've got to say, what is the learning from this experience? And, uh, you know, how do we then apply it to the next one? And we had this recently. We We pitched for a massive piece of business. And everybody from like the low people to the CEO was involved um, in the company. And all of the vibes were like massively positive, massively positive. And we didn't win it. And and the team were absolutely devastated by it. And there were a couple of reasons that we didn't win it, which were fair and unfair. But it was their decision. And it's like you could sit and mope around about that um, or you could say, let's take these learnings and let's apply them. That's exactly what we've done. And in the space of a month, we've been out and we've completely rethought some of the learnings that came out of that. And we're now having very different conversations with people. So yeah, it's about, you know, you've always got to go forward. You've always got to be prepared to change and adapt and evolve and, and just, you know, take the learnings with you. Just go, go, go. Yeah. You have to, I know. you can't stop. Absolutely. And what, what advice would you give to someone who's listening to you and listening to your story and, they're massively inspired and they, you know, they're reared up. They want to make a difference. They want to do something positive, but like, where does one even begin? Like, is in, is it about the similar way you have an idea and then you just run of it? Or would you recommend people? I don't know. You I mean, do you, do you, now that you've achieved like this, I mean, I'm sure people come to you for advice, like charities, because you've obviously got a charity. I think you're in the, the top two or 3% of, charities in terms of actually in the uk in terms of the amount of money they give away so you're obviously an example of a charity which has worked and been hugely successful like what what are some of the the keys to that is that just having a great team surrounding yourself with the right people um having just that go 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 attitude or is there some sort of secret source that you you know <laughs> i wish there was a secret source but <laughs> i haven't found it i haven't found it yet um yeah i think i think a it's a lot of things. It's about coming out with a coming out with an idea about what you want to do and and the thing that you want to try and achieve, and then I think it's being really disciplined and just going towards it as fast as you possibly can. And you know, I I think that 
everybody has ideas and, and you know people say oh, i don't know what i want to do it, it doesn't you know everybody has an idea and sometimes it takes a while for those ideas to to germinate and formulate and uh, and be brought to life but if you really believe in something and you're passionate about it it will become reality it might not always be exactly what you thought it was going to be um but but it will and i think the best thing you can do is just work your backside off you know i always say to people when they when they do come and talk to me um i said just be prepared to give up first two years of your life um you know every weekend 20 hours a day and be prepared to lose everything and if you can do that then you've got a fighting chance of getting really long way down the road that 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 last phrase when you said be uh, prepared to lose everything because what was interesting is that it's not the risk is i mean obviously it seems like a huge risk but you said yourself that um worst case scenario you can always get a job like you know as in if you back yourself and you've got the confidence knowing that okay you know yes i could lose everything but worst case scenario i could go in i could write up a cv i could get a job i'm you know i you, i back myself enough to be able to know that i can do that so the risk is like i don't know a lot of ego i guess ego um and you know being prepared just to slog it out and not you know live up to the standard which maybe you're used to but Knowing that you've got the confidence, knowing that you're never going to go hungry, you can always back yourself to go and get a job like if needs be. I think that gives uh, a certain level of freedom as well, which is quite exciting. Knowing that, hey, I am going to be okay. Worst case scenario, I just have to just, I know, bow my head a little bit, go <laughs> a little bit down the career ladder, and then just start again. But is that is that so much of a risk? Like I, I think I'm always just go for it, guys. <laughs> I, no, I absolutely agree. I think you you get very few chances in life to follow your own dreams, and I think to be your own boss is is one of the best things that you can ever do. Um, you know, because you just set your own agenda. It's about how you want to do things and, and the way you want to work. And I think that is incredibly um, fulfilling as an experience. And uh, yeah, it's just it's just getting on and doing it. You know, just enjoy the passion and, and the excitement and the highs and lows and the triumphs and failures and everything you know it's just like this whole like crazy kind of experience of doing it but it's phenomenal and um and if you can find something that will you know change the world or change people's lives in some kind of small way um then i think that's just an added bit of icing on a very big cake that's awesome uh and that leads me on to my last couple of speed round questions which we uh, finish up every interview with yeah. Um, we've touched on a few things earlier, but um, if you had to summarise, like, what does a fulfilled life mean to you? I think I think it's probably about trying to do all those things that you want to do. And uh, I certainly in my twenties and thirties, I would pretty much never say no to anything. I would always kind of have a go, and and, and through that, I have some amazing experiences of. Um, you know, taking jobs that had been offered to me that I wouldn't otherwise have considered. I got, you know, flying licenses and, you know, God knows what else. And just have this very rich kind of life that, that I was so open to stuff that I just had so many amazing experiences. And I think the other part of it is about not having regrets, you know, or certainly not having big regrets. And, um, you know, everybody kind of goes, oh, you know, I can't do this. Or, um, you know, what happens if I you know it doesn't work out and it's like have a go you know just just have a go because 
when you get to your later years in life, if you look back and go, I wish I could have, um, it's too late. So, you know, have no regrets and just go for the things that you want to try. I love that. And what is one thing all our listeners can do today that will have a massive positive effect on their lives? I'd just like them to sit here and go, if I could really do the biggest, the, the craziest thing, the life-changing thing that I really, really deeply, deep down in my heart want to do, what would it be? And just say that, say it to yourself, and then just figure out how to start walking towards it. Just take that first step. You know, if you want to go and climb Everest tomorrow, you know, start with walking up a hill in the park and see how that feels, you know. Buy a pair of trainers. Buy a pair of trainers, yeah. Awesome. And are there any books or resources which have had a big impact on you? I um I think the biggest the biggest uh, book that had an impact on me was uh, a book called Jupiter's Travels by a guy called Ted Simon, and he wrote it in the nineteen seventies, and uh, it was about his motorcycle journey around parts of the world, and it just hit my life at a moment in time. And it was that book that inspired me to sell everything I'd got and buy a motorbike and start riding it around the world. Um, so on a personal one, that was always the one that, that I refer to. Awesome. I love that. And I'm definitely going to be reading that. And last but not least, um, how can people find out more about you, stay in touch, uh, follow your journey and the one, one difference? Um, if they go to uh, our website, which is onedifference.org, that's one spelled O-N-E, uh, onedifference.org, um, they can go on that and they can click through to Facebook or Twitter or um, they can find me on there uh, on Twitter as well if they want to do that. Um, but I'm always happy. I have a kind of an open, this is going to maybe backfire, but, um, but I have a kind of an open come and have a coffee policy. So if anybody ever wants just to, to grab me for half an hour and talk about I've got this really crazy idea. I, you know, what do you think about it? Then I'm always up for a coffee. It's going to, it's going to backfire if we're really popular. This podcast. <laughs> <laughs> if we're not popular, you're fine. You get no one, no one to call. <laughs> well, there is, a, there is another part to that actually, which is that another book that I read when I was away traveling was the Celestine Prophecy. I don't know if you've come across that. I haven't read it. My father, my father has been waxing lyrical, telling me to read it. So that's on my to-do list. It's, my it's, reading it's, list. A, it's a good traveling book. It's a, it's a, it's very interesting. But one of the things that it talks about in that is that the people you meet always have a message for you or something like that. And, uh, and I think that's, there is always this two way street, um, with people. And, uh, that's why I like having coffee with people. Because they may come to me with, I think about this as an idea, and actually I'll get something out of the experience as well. So it's it's a mutually beneficial experience. Duncan, this is this has been one of my top, like absolute favourite conversations. I've absolutely loved talking to you. It's been it's been fascinating. Thank you so so much. I really appreciate it's it. Pleasure. It's been great. <laughs> See you later. Take care. Bye. Bye.